Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Todd Buckingham, and I can now be found on Twitter at Reaching Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman, and I am on Twitter at Greg Steeman. Well, I thought, gentlemen, the best way to start this week is, Greg, you had the opportunity to sit down with North Dakota State Athletic Director Matt Larson. If you want to just introduce that interview, and then we'll go right into that. Absolutely. I, I think Zach had brought it up, and we all kind of agreed it'd be great to get an administrator's perspective. Matt Larson has always been approachable and, and very informative, as I think our listeners will find out. So it was a great opportunity to sit down with Matt Larson, Director of Athletics at North Dakota State University. Hey, I'm here with Matt Larson, Athletic Director at North Dakota State University. Um, really appreciate him making an effort just to say, you know what, he'll share some of his thoughts with us and provide some insight. Um, in our previous podcast, Matt, we've talked about so much of the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talk about it from a completely outsider perspective and, and probably clueless like we are most of the time. But I really appreciate you saying, yeah, I'll come on and visit with you a little bit. And so I guess the first question I'm going to ask you, Matt, is, is just give us an overview. I know that, you know, this fall season football has been moved to spring and we're in the midst of attempting to get a college basketball season going. Um, what are some of the things that you've been dealing with? Well, I think uncertainty is definitely a, a word we, we've used a lot here at NDSU and I think athletic programs have across the country. And, you know, I, I always go back to we're, we're such a, an event and a date driven business and, you know, we have our plans in place and you follow your plan and, and the uncertainty pieces, there's been so many stops and starts and adjustments and, and a plan and a week later that plan changes. And so honestly, it's been, it's been almost kind of going from planning a year out to, Hey, let's take it a day at a time, you know, with the goal of, you know, keeping our student athletes and, and our staff as safe as you can. But at the end of the day, trying to find a way where we're going to be able to compete. And, and honestly, that's what the last seven or eight months have been in meeting with folks in the summer league meeting with, uh, you know, a talking to ADs at other institutions, coaches having conversations with the idea of how can we find a way to make sure that we get an opportunity to compete this year. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of adjustments, whether it's uh, non-conference scheduling, like as you mentioned, moving all of our fall sports to the spring, uh, but with the hopes now of, ba of basketball starting up. And so for us, I know a lot of other institutions across the country have, have played some fall sports, have played some football, and, you know, we had our one lone football game here. So, so really, we're, we're excited. We're looking forward to getting some, some basketball here, even though it, it's going to look a little different than, than what we're used to. Um, but the fact that we're moving in a good direction uh, and, we're, and we're starting next week is, is pretty exciting. I appreciate that insight, Matt. It's, it's funny, I, you know, back in a previous career or two, I, I sat in some of the meeting rooms with fellow coaches and administrators. And I'm sure you've never seen this yourself, you know, when coaches can get territorial about scheduled uh, practice times and facilities availability. Have you seen your coaches really take a completely different approach this year saying whatever it takes for our kids to compete? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I've been really, and I can speak to NDSU, but I think this extends to a lot of schools and other coaches and other ADs is, is, is I've just been really impressed with um, the selfless nature 
of our of our staff. They understand that this is a unique year. They understand that you know this is something that we've never experienced, and it's going to be different in a lot of different ways. It's you know things that we've been able to do in the past. We may not be able to do now. You know, from scheduling, from facility availability, from all of those things. You know, every year, and again, you you love it because our coaches are so competitive and they want the best opportunities for their teams, understanding this year we may have to take a step back in some of those areas in terms of competitive equity and some of those things that that's always a focus in the past with which I think coaches have said, hey, we need to get a season in and we need to do it for our fan base, our community, our student athletes, our university. And so I think they've really refocused uh, on kind of what's important now. And and I, I've been really impressed from a from a budgetary standpoint. Uh, from a flexibility standpoint, from a, hey, we'll do whatever we need to do to be able to have a successful season, whatever that might look like. And so I've uh, been incredibly impressed with with our coaching staff here. And like I said, I'm sure that extends across college athletics. I think that's a great observation, Matt. I, I would probably agree 100% with you. You know, the other thing that I've seen, and, and I want you to correct me if, if my observation is wrong, I've watched on both the high school and college level, again, from a distance, you know, they, there's a, a an ask or a, maybe a frustration because of a lack of change in behavior for some. But what I've seen is these young athletes, both at the high school and college level, how hard they have worked to give themselves a chance to compete. I think they have adhered to anything and everything that, that people have asked of them from the social distancing, the, the sanitary, you know, washing hands, the masking and things like that. How impressed have you been with your athletes on campus just to give themselves a chance to compete? Well, I, I've been really impressed. I, I think our, our athletes have, have absolutely bought in from day one. And I go back to, you know, we were probably one of the, the first departments in the country to have student athletes back on, on campus, you know, starting way back in June 1st. And then we, we kind of phased student athletes in with our basketball student athletes being uh, being back able to train on campus in the middle of June. And, but we did that with very strict protocol protocols in place that for us to be able to continue, they were going to have to adhere. And, and I'd say from day one and, you know, from June 15th to now, um, they've been in 100% compliance because I think they do know, I mean, you know, Greg, it, as well as I do, the amount of time and energy and sacrifice they put in to, yeah. to their sport and the opportunity to compete and, and, you know, they'll do anything they can to not jeopardize that opportunity. And I would say, and because what we've seen too, is I mean, as safe as you, you try to be social distancing, masking, we've seen folks still contract the coronavirus. So, so nothing's guaranteed, but I think they understand as much as they can mitigate some of those issues, there's a greater chance that they're going to be able to compete this year. And so I, I think they absolutely wholeheartedly um, understand it, appreciate it and why we're doing the things we're doing and have bought in 100%. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, and it's, and I, I'm really, I'm proud of them. I say that without having any, you know, attachment to them personally, it's just great to see because they've really set the standard. In my opinion, they've said, as, as to your point, does it guarantee anything? No, but it gives you the best chance for success. And they're buying in day in, day out, just to, just to give themselves. And to be honest with you, we've got a country starved for college athletics and you've seen that so yeah absolutely and, and you know a, athletics is all about dealing with adverse adversity and and challenges and setbacks and 
And so I, I think our student athletes and our staff, they're prepared for these things. Not that we've experienced a pandemic before and what it's, right. what it's presented, but I think they're, they're used to, Hey, there's, there's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be some setbacks as a year goes on and we have to fight through those things. And, and we've challenged our student athletes and staff to be able to do that, that at the end of this we NDSU needs to be in a great place. And they've completely bought into that and, and understand that things, things in life aren't going to be perfect. And we're going to have to battle through. And, and I, and I do, I think in a lot of levels, they've embraced that, that out, that outlook. Yeah. They, they kind of embody it. And I'll, I'll make this last comment and I'll move on to the next question, but they kind of embody from my standpoint, you, you know, sometimes they say adversity <clears throat> builds character in this case with our college athletes, adversity reveals character. You're, you're seeing this no doubt beyond their years and just their willingness and commitment to not only themselves, but more importantly, each other. So that's great to see. I, I appreciate your thoughts and comments on that. Now I'm going to ask you a question that I don't know how much you can answer, how much you can, but there's so many unknowns right now. The first games are supposed to be played in about a week, 10 days. What are you hearing from the NCAA? Or is there just this kind of, you guys got to do what you have to do institutionally and as a league. Can you give us some insight from that standpoint, Matt? Well, I would say there's been a fair amount of guidance from the NCAA and, and, you know, I'll give a lot of credit to the summer league. This is something that um, from the, from the league level down to our joint council, which is our ADs and SWAs, we meet every week via zoom to talk through all the things that we need to have in place to, to try to have a successful season uh, from scheduling to uh, safety protocols, to testing requirements, all of those things. It's very, very prescribed, which you need it to be, you need it to be universal, across college athletics. So visiting institutions know what they're getting into when they go on the road. And so um, from that standpoint, I'm, I'm very encouraged that we're going to, to have a college basketball season. I know we've seen some, some programs over the course of the last couple of weeks that have, to, have had to pause mm-hmm. um, you know, practices or whatever it might be. But, but I think watching college football a little bit this, this fall is it can be done. It can be done as long as everybody buys in and um, you know, is, is, is being as safe as possible, the testing that's in place. And so um, that's not to say that we're not going to have some stops and starts that we go, go through. It's not to say that we're not going to have some games canceled. We've already, we've already seen that at NDSU and, and we've seen it across the country. So, so that's going to happen. But ultimately, if, if we're doing all the things we need to do universally across college athletics, I feel confident we're going to be able to have a basketball season. We're going to be able to get through to, uh, to March Madness. And, but again, that's, we need to continue. What we're doing not just today. That's got to happen for the next three months. But but I'm 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 positive. I'm I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to move forward with our season. I echo those sentiments too. I think I don't think these kids would come this far without saying no. We're going to finish this out. And and I appreciate what you said. And this is my observation again from the Summit League standpoint. I give the Summit League a lot of credit. I give individual institutions a ton of credit, and all the coaches to say let's put our personal agendas aside. What is the best way for us to put a conference schedule together? And of course, at NDSU, you're sitting here saying, all right, who, who's going to, are we going to UND or are they coming to our yeah, place? And yeah. same thing in, in Vermilion and Brookings. But I've heard very little. I think there's so much appreciation for saying what's, and I think Summit League was way out ahead of a lot of other leagues. In fact, I don't know that you guys didn't set the standard for what a, a lot of leagues have decided to do with the same location, double headers you know, minimize the travel, minimize exposure. Um, I give you guys a lot of credit. Can you speak to that a little bit about when that all came together? Well, yeah, and I, and I think it just goes to, I think right off the bat, I think it goes to, I think just the collegiality within the Summit League, within our institutions, within our ADs, 
Um, and I would say even within our coaches, even though, hey, we all want to win. We all want to be successful. We all want to beat the other institution. But in times like this, the fact that we're able to come together and find a common ground that that makes sense for us to have a season. And, you know, that's where I give a lot of credit to our coaches. They early on were having conversations with, with within their groups because I think they very early on, they knew that this is for real. If we need to come up to a, up, up with a solution so we have an opportunity to have a season. And yeah, is it ideal to have to go on the road twice and play an opponent twice? No, it's not ideal. But in a pandemic year and, and what we've been dealing with, the fact that we get to go on the road and play two games is, is exciting. And, and I, our coaches have absolutely embraced that. And like I said, the whole idea of competitive equity goes out the window and you know, let's do all the things we can do to have a season. And so um, I, I do, I, I, I think we were one of the early uh, leagues that that thought that would be, be a good idea and, and part of it was just to minimize travel mitigate as much risk and exposure as you could you know where a typical weekend we may fly to to Denver on a and, and play on a Friday and then turn around and fly to Oral Roberts and play on a Sunday well now think about all the exposure the airports the hotels where now if we're going to one location playing two games against the same team and coming home you know we've minimized so many interactions and, and risk and again, we just thought that's going to give us the best opportunity for us to get through a full season. And um, like I said, all, all nine institutions were completely bought in and on board with that. That's great to hear. And uh, I've referred to this as a mulligan year a few times. I'm hoping it's the only one. I'm hoping we can get back to the normal, you know, that <laughs> you, you, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. And as far as you know, um, have they kind of left the, I have to believe the NCAA will, remain flexible on like the minimum number of games isn't the ultimate goal especially in the one bid leagues to say let's let's determine a conference championship a conference champion so we can have our participant in in the uh, ncaa tournament and then however you get there is however you get there yeah right now we're still at a a minimum of 13 games needed to be able to qualify for the and and that's division one competition to qualify Um, and that's where i mean i think we worked really hard to try to make sure those conference games are as sacred as possible. Um, and we're gonna do everything we can to, to, to play those and then ultimately and hopefully have a, have a conference tournament down in, down in Sioux Falls. But, but yeah, I mean, protecting our um, automatic qualifiers is, is critically important for us. And, um, you know, especially since we've seen everybody, if you talk to a lot of our coaches or ADs in the league, non-conference is so fluid. You know, I, I, just in our, our situation alone, we, we added a game uh, a week and a half from now yesterday, you know, and I, and I think we may see some of that fluidity, you know, throughout non-conference. But again, I think the eye on the prize, so to speak, is our conference schedule and being able to have some semblance of a conference tournament and being able to send the Summer League AQ to the NCAA tournament. Great points. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll ask you this, you know, from an athletic director standpoint, how many potential sports can you have going on at one time this spring? Have you guys come up with that number? Yeah, I, well, I've said to some some of our fan base, I said, if you're if you're a true Bison fan, this spring may be your Shangri-La, so to speak, where you're going to have a, an event every day and you may have two or three in, in some days. Um, but I'll tell you, that part we're looking forward to. I mean, we, yeah. we sponsor six sports here at North Dakota State and, you know, we put together our master schedule now that we have all of our fall sports that have been relocated to the spring, our existing spring sports and and what that schedule is going to look like. And we've said internally, it's all hands on deck. You know, yeah. essentially we've gone outside of the football game, we've gone almost 10 months now without having an event here on campus. And so I know as much as our fan base and our student athletes are starved for events, so are we administratively. And, and uh, so it's going to be a challenge. Um, there'll be 
Um, you know, like I said, we may have three games going head to head at the same exact time at home on campus. Um, but ultimately it's about, it's about getting through it and putting on a great experience and a really safe and healthy environment for our student athletes and our spectators. And so the fact that we're getting back to games, if we had 10 in a day, that would be okay. You know, we just want to get back to some normal activity and, and allow our student athletes to compete. I, I completely agree, Matt. You've been generous with your time. I guess the last question I'm going to ask, and, and I, I always think it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot I don't know. Um, in fact, I know I know less than most people. But what are some things that you know, a thing or two that maybe I, I wasn't smart enough to ask you that our, our listeners might be interested in hearing that they never really thought about that as far as some of the things that you've had to deal with administratively throughout this pandemic and this fall. Yeah. Well, I would say the biggest thing, and, and again, I think this probably uh, extends across all of college athletics, is just the, the financial impact, uh, you know, to our program. So much of our budgets are, are externally revenue driven, you know, ticket sales and donations and, and seat obligations. And, you know, as you're reducing capacities or as you're seeing a lot of places having little to no fans, there's a real financial impact to that as well. And so I know across all campuses, we're trying to manage through you know, those budgetary restrictions and budget cuts. And again, that's why I go back to our, our coaches and staff uh, have taken a great leadership role in, in understanding the financial realities, understanding we're going to have to make some adjustments, but still want to give our student athletes an opportunity to compete for championships and, and have a great experience. And so balancing those two has been, has been a challenge, but, but again, something that's really important for us to work through so we have an opportunity to compete. But those are real challenges, you know, it's, and it's not just athletic departments. Those are you know, all the colleges and universities are, are feeling some of those same financial pressures and strains and, and trying to work through those. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a great challenge and, and one that we'll, we'll get through and we'll work through. But, but those challenges are real on, on a lot of campuses across the country. Well, they certainly are, Matt. And, and again, I just want to say thanks. You've always been generous with your time and, and thanks for providing us some insight. Uh, very educational for myself and I'm sure our listeners are going to be very appreciative too. And I just want to wish you the absolute best as you hopefully get into all these uh, activities taking place. And I wish you, uh, your, your athletic department, your coaches and your staff, the absolute best moving forward. Well, thanks, Ray. I appreciate all that, that you do for the Summer League. And uh, it's exciting. I always tell folks that, you know, you, you go back to March 10th of last year and we were on the, we're on the, in, in Sioux Falls at the Premier Center, cutting down the net, celebrating a, a, a conference championship for men's basketball. And here we are, Again, already a fast forward and starting the, the basketball seasons again. So I, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch our, our student athletes compete, not just here, but but across the country. And so it's an exciting time, but I appreciate you spending some time with me today. Anytime. Hey, you take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Well, it was great to listen to that interview and get the chance to hear the perspective from an administrative point of view. Uh, Greg, do you want to start out? Just what were your thoughts in the interview there? Well, I think... Matt, as you can tell, you know, everybody is aware of North Dakota State University's prowess uh, on the football side of things. So it's not like this is something new for him. He's been dealing with this since June. Uh, you know, as he mentioned, when the athletes first came on campus, they had protocols in place. So this is uh, as college basketball fans are kind of, you know, hoping and, and anticipating that a season can be played out. He's got a lot of experience with some other sports, and, and I think he just brings a, uh, an understanding of how important it is to these student-athletes 
how important it is that you have a, a coaching staff throughout your entire department that is all on the same page. And I think he also did a nice, uh, nice job of acknowledging, and I think we should all acknowledge that too. You know, the Summit League has really been one of the first leagues that kind of said, here's how we're doing things. And I think, you know, I think somewhat cutting edge, to be honest with you, because I think you've seen the majority of the rest of the, at at the very least, the mid-major leagues follow suit with the exact type of scheduling Summit League put in place uh, very early on. And I think as we're seeing things play out, the administrators have to be flexible. They have to be adaptable. Their staffs have to be willing to say, you know what? We can have everything planned out, but things can change in in 24 hours or 12 hours or four hours for that matter. And the goal is do the best with what they have. And I just think uh, you can understand why, why North Dakota State University is under strong leadership with Matt Larson in charge. That was really nice to see just the the logical approach of, of not only uh, Lar- Mr. Larson's, but uh, just the entire conference. It, I think, you know, scheduling it the way that they did it, uh, it's it's a pretty tried and true method of just reducing the amount of variables that you have in the season. And like he had talked about, you know, the the less amount of apart, uh, airports you have to go through, hotels, things like that, it just cuts down on the chance of of some type of infection or, or catching a bug and uh, derailing the the season. So uh, I think that I think the summer league was smart to go to it, and and also at the time that they did, I think it was good for them to get the word out early. And I think that really helped salvage the non-conference schedule for a lot of these schools. We were kind of going over everything in the games that are coming up. And uh, the, the Summit League, by and large, put together a pretty impressive non-conference schedule. Certainly more impressive than some of the other conferences out there. And there's some big games out there. So, you know, at, at one point when we were talking about, like, boy, are we even going to really know what these teams are like by the end of the year? I don't think that's the case. There's some marquee games here. Uh, uh, several games against Power 5 conferences. Uh, opponents for pretty much all the opponents in the summer league here. So um, I think it was really impressive what they put together here. And I think it was primarily because like uh, athletic director said that, you know, they're they're just going to put aside their differences and just focus on how to put the best schedule together and the best product on the field to make sure they have a good representation uh, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I thought Greg, one of the interesting things that you had mentioned in the interview was the fact that there hasn't been complaining from fans about where they're going, where the teams are going twice and different things like that. Uh, I I thought that was just, I think the way the schools have sold it and the fact that we can get basketball in if we do it the right way has even helped with some of the fan angst on some of those things. I, I think you're right, Todd, and, and a lot of that comes from, you know, a lot of a lot of fan bases will follow, you know, what's what's the coach saying, or is the coach upset about this? Well, the coach is upset about this, and we're going to be upset about it. it. Comes back to the understanding, the ultimate goal is, the these kids in in all sports came to these universities to compete, you know, on the collegiate level. And to go a season or a year without allowing that to take place is, you know, really taken away in, you know, to a, in, in a way, those kids' livelihood, because that's really what they went there to do. And so credit the administrations, credit the coaching staff, credit the, the leadership in the Summit League for saying, how can we get this done? And if we come up with a plan, are you all on board? And I think that's what we've seen from institution to institution. 
and uh, coach to coach. And most importantly, they're doing it to give their athletes a chance to compete. That's a good point, Todd. You know, I mean, it's true in business and, and college athletics and everything. You know, if, if the captain panics, the crew will panic, right? If the coach starts complaining, you know, the fans are going to complain 10 times. And so I think everybody, I think the uniformity amongst all these coaches has really been impressive. Messaging has been on point. Everybody's been focused. And uh, I think, you know, and, and they're not lying. You know, it is, I don't think whoever, wherever the game plays really matters at this point, if there's no fans, they're just going to try to do what makes the most logistical sense and get the games played as safely as possible. In terms of being able to watch all these games, I'm pretty sure that all the Summit League games are going to be broadcast. I don't, Greg, if you, I don't know if you've heard otherwise, but um, and and like the these preseason tournaments, ESPN will be broadcasting, so everybody will be able to watch them. Uh, obviously, it's not the same as being there in person, but um, you'll be able to watch them. There, there should be a great amount of coverage this year, even more so than the previous years. I think you're right, and um, and even if they're not broadcast by say Midco Sports Network, that, that really does a ton of games in the Summit League, as, at least as much as you know the the personnel and the equipment allows them to do. I think you're also going to see because of the you know the the unknowns when it comes to any attendance, you know how much attendance, if any at all. I think you're going to see in each individual institution make their best effort to really have live streams available. And even if they're, you know, if they're linking up the, the radio call with the live stream, there's going to be a demand and a desire for that. So you're going to see a lot of people engaging online, um, multiple different platforms. You know, I've even seen it at the high school level, how, how good they've, be, they've become at putting these things on live stream when, when the, when the parents aren't allowed to attend or fans aren't allowed to attend. So just like so many other things throughout this pandemic, there are some silver linings that, that take place and, and force people to adapt and say, all right, how can we get this product in front of as many people as possible? So the televised coverage is going to be extremely uh, you know, valuable to a lot of people, but I, I think you're also going to see the institution step up and make sure that their fans can see it, even if it's not on television. Yeah, and I don't know if it was done intentionally or not, but just looking at the schedule, particularly for the Dakota schools, and they really line up nicely where I don't know if any, uh, I don't think there's three home games on a particular single day. In other words, you know, if, if SDSU and USD are at home, NDSU and UND aren't, I guess is what I'm saying. So um, that should allow us to, to cover the majority of the games. Um, so yeah, feel free to, you know, turn into Midco, take the batteries out of the remote and you know, maybe have uh, ESPN Plus streaming on your laptop, and you should be able to cover just about everything. So, um, should be a really interesting year this year, though. It's it's going to be weird uh, calling games with no fans there or anything like that. So, I don't know, it, but it's going to be fun. I'm sure looking forward to it. Well, and we've put something that we have not put on the website yet, but we will have where the live streams for each team are going to be uh, if they're not televised your traditional way. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, the website will be a place to go for Summit League fans as well to just try to consume as much basketball. At, at least here in Minnesota, a lot of things are shutting down again. So, it, it, you know, the only positive to not being able to do my bowling league and and uh, and Boy Scouts and these different things that I typically do is I get to park and watch a lot of basketball. So, um, yeah, I, I pulled up the schedule before we went on here and just looking at it. 
I mean, we hit the ground running next week, Wednesday, and there's no looking back. It's pretty much straight through, even if you're just only watching the Summit League. And that's not even saying, you know, high school later on this year and uh, the Par 5 conferences, things like that. So it's a full schedule. And like we said, the coverage is going to be pretty thorough at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And one, just to go back to the interview with uh, Matt Larson again, one of the things that kept striking me, and I hope, us as fans in general take this approach is just the gratitude of being able to uh, watch the games, the pride in the athletes and in sacrificing in order to make that happen. There will be times that we don't get to watch games. They're, they're going to get canceled. There's going to be times where half the teams might not be playing. Uh, but the, the, the sacrifice that people are making to make it happen. I I'm always impressed with that. And I get that these are athletes who have already sacrificed more growing up than than many people did just to get where they are but you know when i i went to a conservative baptist college and i still got into way more trouble than this would have been horrible for me and so to to watch these students make it happen with some really stringent policies on whether games happen or not it's just i I feel a lot of gratitude for that yeah you know a couple things there uh you know, I think college sports and sports in general really felt invincible. You know, they were really King Kong for a while. And just the thought that you 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 may not have it for a year or a championship has never really crossed any of our minds. I mean, just think of how, like, what extreme situation it had to be to get to that point. And so, you know, and I, I think it's making us all grateful. I think it's making the, the college administrators, uh, college players, coaches, everybody, everybody that's involved with it, all the fans, just really grateful for what we have here. I know this year watching college football, I'm basically treating every every game that I get to watch like, hey, this may be the last one, so I'm going to make sure I pay attention here. So I think uh, just a, a large amount of gratitude uh, goes out to everybody involved, everybody that's allowing us to pull this off. And um, I think a lot can be learned from it. We kind of talked about this last week too, but you know what, what these administrators and players are doing in terms of discipline and regiments and staying focused, things like that, um, should really be talked about more, should really be highlighted. There, There's not a whole lot of examples of being able to navigate this pandemic fairly well. And I think you can, I, I haven't found a better example than, than college athletics, even high school athletics, quite frankly. Um, they seem to be doing about as better job as, as anybody. So um, I don't know. I, I just, I want to keep uh, shining a light on them, keep raising them up and, and praising them because that's what it takes to get through this apparently. So, yeah. Zach and, and Todd, I'm going to echo what Zach just said. I, I think that's, the, you know, whether it's at the college level or the high school level, I think the most important thing to understand is how, I'm, you know, and, and people can criticize it or, or make fun of it if they want, but these opportunities for these kids to compete are really doggone important. And I think what the kids have taken, you know, the approach they've taken is tell us what we need to do. We will do it. I'm not saying it's been perfection, but I'm saying from a compliance standpoint, complete agreement, Zach, they've set the standard for saying, all right, if we want to function, if we want to find a way to exist with what's going on and still live our lives and and do what we're passionate about, tell us what we need to do and we'll go do it. And I just think that kind of exemplifies a willingness and an understanding that these kids have already ingrained in themselves from the standpoint of, what do I have to sacrifice? What do I have to do to get to the level I want to get to? Right now, it's what do I have to do just to be able to play 
and compete in the sport or the activity that I love to do. And they have been fantastic. So I, I will, uh, I think we're all in agreement. Couldn't, uh, you know, lift these kids up because they're doing, and, and let's make sure there are people that are going to come down with this virus. I think, again, you go back to the shaming and all the stuff that's been going on for eight months now. Nobody's making any mistakes. It's a virus. Some people are going to come down with it regardless of the number of precautions they are taking. They can do they can do 10 of 10 steps properly. It's a virus, and, and it could happen. So make sure you're not being critical of somebody who does come down with it and assume that they've done something wrong, for gosh sakes. Uh, it, it's going to happen, and as you guys have both mentioned, we're going to have some bumps in the road. But the last thing we should do is let those things catch us off guard. We all expect postponements and rescheduling, maybe even some cancellations. But I think in a year, you're seeing in this year in, in particular, you're seeing people being as flexible as possible when it comes to scheduling. Where they used to have to schedule 18 months ahead of time, right now it might be 18 hours. You never know. But but that just shows how willing these coaching staffs, administrations, leagues, and most importantly the athletes how willing they are to do whatever it takes to get on the floor. Yeah, I think the theory that needs to, to go away is if they don't play, they're going to be safer. That theory needs to stop. And there's a lot of people out there that if they don't understand the situation, go to that theory. And that, that's I, I, the more I listen to people, uh, the more I talk to people, the more I talk to players, administrators, the more that that is not the case. Uh, quite honest, like objectively, I think these players are safer playing sports and being a part of these programs and a part of these protocols than really anywhere else. I wish, you know, if anybody's listening out there and has a link to some data that can kind of compare and contrast, uh, I'd be really interested in that. Um, I know of a couple instances, like it's pretty easy to compare on like major college football, the rate of positivities on the football program versus the general population. Um, so that, that's just, uh, it, it's easy to take cheap shots right now, but it's, uh, it's much more worthy to, to actually think about this situation and what we're trying to accomplish here and the things we're trying to establish. So, um, I'd encourage people to just keep looking at the data, keep looking at how, how they're doing here, do your own research as to the protocols that they're adhering to and, and tell me about if somebody's doing anything better than that. So, um, uh, like, like always dialogue is great. I, I, I fully welcome it. Nobody's trying to risk anything. Um, but I, I haven't found a way to, to eliminate risk um, other than just sitting at home uh, for a couple of years. And I don't know if that's really an option either. So anyway, not to go on a tangent there, but um, it's just a, it's a fascinating situation. And, uh, you know, I think we're doing right by these players by playing. Well, and here's the great news. Three days from now, we are going to have basketball. And just looking at the Summit League schedule, the non-conference schedule that we have starting the 25th, I want to get a few, a few comments from you guys, and I want to start out with a question. I, I, it was reported that Western Kentucky might be replacing Creighton in the crossover classic. Has that been announced officially, or is that still up in the air? I, it, my understanding is they are replacing them, but I, I shouldn't, you know, if, if, there are, if that hasn't been confirmed, then I apologize. But I, I, I saw the exact same thing that Western Kentucky was projected to replace them. So we'll see what happens. I, I wish I could confirm that for you right now. Yeah, I believe. Go ahead. I, I think so. We're, we're talking the bad boys more classic, right? So the, was this the former battle for Atlantis? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I thought 
I thought last I heard, and again, this almost changes daily at this point, um, but UNI, Western Kentucky, St. Mary's, Memphis, Utah State, Wichita State, West Virginia, and then South Dakota State. That's the last count that I had. Uh, again, by the time this gets posted, maybe it changes. But, um, I mean, you look at that. I mean, those are good programs. Those are sneaky good programs. Um, you have you know, West Virginia. I'd love to watch them play. Utah State, all of the, all the success they've had and, and the connections to the Summit League there with their coach. Uh, and like you said, you and I, Western Kentucky. So, I mean, it's still a pretty good, uh, still a pretty good group. Not what we started with, but especially if you're a basketball junkie, this, these are going to be some very interesting games. Um, and then you have Memphis, right? Yeah, Penny Hardaway here. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I would think it will move towards, I would not be surprised if this type of tournament is at the Pentagon going forward in, in years that it isn't a replacement for something. It's a good venue. It makes too much sense. It makes too much sense. The facility's too good. The location's too good. And not everybody can fly to the Bahamas to play, right? There's a lot of other teams. And I think as teams become more budget conscious, right? We talked about this a little bit with conference structure too. But as teams become more budget conscious, things like this make a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, because I, I believe, they, do they get a check to go to this tournament? I think they probably do. I mean, at least their expenses are taken care of. Typically, I, I think, and I, I don't have confirmation of this because I haven't asked about it, but that's very common. You get some sponsorship that, that really covers the majority of the expenses, and, and so it's not a drain on your budget to go to these, these events. You know, but at the same time, they'll oftentimes count on ticket revenue to pay a lot of that out. Not going to be much for ticket revenue, I don't think. But at the same time, it's just a matter of, you know, the television platform or the media platform. These games are going to be available. And, uh, yeah, it's that, that's what they got to do is be as budget conscious as possible, not only this year, but moving forward. Because, this you know, the last 10 months is going to be a lot to recover from. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little surprised we don't see a couple more of these. Um, there's obviously the the Dakota uh, crossover classic or whatever they're calling us, CU, CU Mortgage Direct uh, Classic. Um, but do one, you know, I, I know they talked about like a Horizon League Summit League Challenge. I'm surprised something like that didn't come together with, say, four, four to eight teams, something like that. Just post up in Minneapolis or wherever for three, four days, get a whole bunch of games in. Um, you know, but but the rest of these schools, I mean, they did. They were able to put together a nice little schedule here, and I think that's largely because the Summit League got the conference schedule out, so they knew, you know, when the games were starting, and they could work backwards in terms of what they wanted to do for the rest of their schedule. So it's really nice to see. I I think it can be. I mean, all things considered, I think they did a pretty good job of putting together a schedule. All these schools. Agreed. And even that first day, you've got UND playing Miami of Ohio at noon in Oxford. And then ending the day with South Dakota and, and Colorado. And I believe that's a multi-team event. But pretty much an all-day kind of thing that first day if you wanted to find games. Yep, they're, they're going to play. And, and uh, you know, some of these other ones that really kind of stand out to me, I mean, you know, Omaha really did a nice job um, putting together their schedule. They have a bunch of games scheduled. They, you know, their tournament in Florida – Creighton, Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas State. Some of these games are on back-to-back nights, too, uh, on all away. So, um, I don't know. What other games stick out to you guys? Well, I, I'm going to go back. And, and for, unfortunately, you know, just to talk about the, the uniqueness of the season, unfortunately, the multi-team event at, at Milwaukee got canceled. So, North Dakota State's first two games are canceled. But when that was still on, Dave Richmond 
agreed to play two games in Milwaukee and then the next night be in Minneapolis and play two games the next two days. They were going to play four games in four days just so they could have a chance to play. I think that's the, the flexibility, the availability that you have. And when people say, well, what about your depth? Right now, they're going to be playing everybody. Nobody's losing a year of eligibility. So everybody, you bet it's an all hands on deck. We got to have depth. We may start one five one night and another five the next night. We just want to get games in. We want to grow and develop our players and take advantage of any and every opportunity. And let's be honest, guys. Maybe we've, I know we've said this a lot. I think from the coaching staffs throughout the programs, these people are all saying we had better appreciate the opportunity to play this game because it can be taken away from us in a heartbeat. And I think that's the approach they're all taking. Yeah, and I think depth, we've talked about on previous podcasts too, but depth is going to be absolutely paramount this year. And in a year where a lot of these schools have a lot of their roster is brand new. Um, you have games, you have for the first time ever conference games on back-to-back nights. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a really, really interesting part of, of what going forward. And you can see in this, in this non-conference schedule, they're probably a little bit more apt to, to schedule these back-to-back games because they know they need to prepare for what the, what the season has. And instead of playing, I mean, cause before, if you're only playing one game and then you have a day off, you can get away with playing six or seven players if need be. You can't do that if you're playing two games back to back necessarily, even if, uh, you know, with these great athletes that we have in the conference. Um, ideally, you have eight to 10 players that you can count on. And so th- the teams that establish those top eight to 10 as fast as possible are going to have the most success for this year, in my opinion. Oh, by the way, I just want to throw this in there, Todd. I'm sorry. There's a couple of former NSIC guys in here with Zach and myself. Um, so if any Division One people complain about playing on back-to-back nights in the same place without traveling in between, Zach, we can all rip them because we used to play back-to-back Friday, Saturday with a, anywhere from a one-hour to two-and-a-half-hour trip that you got to make after the Friday game before you play the Saturday night game. So they're going to be just fine back-to-back nights on the same location. Greg, I'm triggered, man. I'm triggered thinking about all these, <laughs> all these bus trips. I'm like driving. So, so picture this drive on a bus from Bismarck to Upper Iowa while doing homework, playing Upper Iowa, going into two overtimes, getting done at about midnight, uh, showering, getting on the bus, driving from Fayette, Iowa, or Fayette, Iowa to Winona, Win- um, Minnesota, bus going off the road, going into a ditch, into a snowbank, women's bus coming back picking us up, uh, driving the rest of the way to Winona, getting to Winona at about 4.35 in the morning. Uh, of course, Winona has our shoot-around scheduled for 8 in the morning, getting a, an hour or two of sleep, and then <laughs> going to the shoot-around, getting some food, and then go playing the number one team in the nation who's in the middle of about a 60-game winning streak. So you're right, Greg. Uh, if anybody wants to complain about back-to-back games, we, we have a little bit of uh, ammunition for them, I guess. So. Sorry for the sight. Sorry for the sight. Uh, I'm, I'm triggered, though. I can't let it go. <laughs> well, on a positive note for a Sunday recording podcast, Friday, Saturday conference games right before that will give us plenty of things to chat about. Absolutely. So, so selfishly, it's actually kind of nice uh, for the people that don't have to play. <laughs> yeah, and as, Zach, you had asked about other games. 
as far as games that I'm looking forward to, Oral Roberts has a couple of interesting early matchups with Wichita State, Missouri. There's there's Iowa State against South Dakota State in about a week. Um, there's a lot of high major teams that we're going to see how the Summit League teams compete against those mostly Midwestern high major teams. And then, Greg, I had a question. Is that the Minneapolis part of the North Dakota State schedule is still happening, right? Or did that to my, Yes, to, to my understanding. So uh, North Dakota State will not plan on traveling to Milwaukee, but they will travel to Minneapolis and, and uh, take part in a four-team event there as of now. So the Bison fans don't have to wait too long to, to get their first taste. No. And who, and who knows? They may get a game on the schedule. In between now and then, you never know. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, we, we all have to be open to um, changing schedules and times, and fans won't complain. They just want to see their teams play. Right. And we've seen, that, we've seen that in football. I mean, we've seen football games getting scheduled. I'm pretty sure this happened in the Pac-12. A football game got scheduled with like two days in advance, and that's a football game. <laughs> it's obviously a lot more logistics than a basketball game. So, I mean, this is we're going to be doing everything in pencil this year, like we talked about last week. But uh, pretty interesting, you know. Not as many uh, like Division Two versus Division One games. Um, we talked about earlier about the the trickle down effect this pandemic is going to get ha- uh, is going to have. You know, uh, a lot of lower level schools rely on pay games to be able to make ends meet, and those games aren't going to be have. This year, so not only is it the not only is it, is it the ticket revenue that's going to be cut, but it's also the pay game revenue that's going to be cut, and it's just sort of like a, a trickle on effect. We're going to be feeling this pain for a couple of years here, um, but first things first, and when you're in the hole, put down the shovel and stop digging, and try to get some games under your belt, and you'll see what we have. Try to have this year as be as complete as possible, and uh, see what we have. Just keep pressing forward. So, right. Well, anything else schedule-related that you guys wanted to bring up? Obviously, next week we will spend actually time talking about basketball games, which will be fantastic. Anything else that you guys noticed in the schedule or something you want to bring up before we wrap, wrap up today? I think uh, just before recording, I think Denver had to pause basketball activities. I thought oh, really? I saw a tweet about it. Yeah, Greg, did you see the same thing? Yeah, I did. I think Goodman threw that out there, and I saw your tweet too. So, yeah, it's – um. Hey, they're the first of probably multiple programs that will have to go into a temporary shutdown in the league. Everybody should expect it. Don't be disappointed. Just embrace the opportunities that, that your, your favorite team gets to compete on the floor. And let's all, uh, let's all move forward, as you guys have both talked about, with, with a positive outlook saying, hey, whatever happens, we'll work through it, and let's just take advantage of the next opportunity our team gets to be on the floor. So, Greg, this isn't where you're saying we should spend 10 minutes talking about how this is Denver not doing things the right way? Excellent point, Todd. Excellent point. Thank you very much. Uh, just just teasing. It's going to happen to everybody, and I think the more they work together, the, the more basketball we're going to get to watch. You bet. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up for today, and I'm very excited to be back next week talking about actual games and seeing how teams are – are uh, starting to shape up very early in the season. And we'll end there. Talk to you guys next week. Sounds great. See you then.